So I was asked a question uh, that I'll tell you about later. But, but the question caused me to really think about Hope Community. What are the marks or what are the characteristics? Or if you were describing Hope Community to someone, how, how would you describe it? And some thoughts came to my mind. And first, I, I would say that I think hope is a place, at least in, in my own estimation, that hope's a place that takes God, Almighty God, very seriously, that we love the Bible, and yet we work very hard at trying to engage a culture that has, by and large, decided that God, that Christianity, that the Bible is irrelevant to their life. We're trying to reach a postmodern people that says, yeah, you believe whatever you want, doesn't matter. We're trying to them to say, yeah, but you know what? Just look up. Look up and see God and it'll change your life. I think we do that. I think it's a mark here. I think another mark here is the aspect of community. And we've, we've pushed hard to say that we don't want hope just to be uh, a dog and pony show where you just come on a Sunday and then you leave. We really want you to get to know people. It's a very important thing to us. And that, and that uh, if you haven't had opportunities yet to be involved in the community here at Hope, give it some time like you would any neighborhood. We want this to be a big family and that's, that's very important to us. We want people to state where they're at with God openly and honestly in this community. We don't want you to put on some religious front. I want you to be real. That'd be another mark. Another mark, I think, and at least as it comes to me, and it's very important to me, is that mark up on the wall right there, the cross. Few, few times, if ever, I've worshipped in this building or our previous building, and I haven't either focused on that cross for a long period of time or maybe just a glance, but it always has brought me back to tears in thinking, and this week we even sang songs about it too, songs on how deep is the Father's love from us that would make a wretch like me his treasure. We take that very seriously here at Hope, that Jesus Christ died for, for you. It's no small thing. I was reading about how the passion of the Christ, the movie, has caused some churches to preach again for the first time in two or three years about the atonement of Christ, that he died for our sins. I'm thinking, I got nothing else. That's the only thing we preach here. <laughs> what, what do you talk about? I, I'm not that good of a speaker. I just kind of say the same thing every week. You're in big trouble without Jesus. You know, it's preaches. <laughs> that would be a solid mark. I'd give us A's in those categories. We're doing a series right now on the book of Acts. It's called The Church on Fire. A study of the book of Acts, looking at the book of Acts, and a question has come to my mind, what was the mark of the early church? I think it was some of those things, but you know what? I think there's something else. I want to discover it with you this morning. If you have a Bible with you, open it up to Acts chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, just go ahead and grab that insert. You'll see the, an outline. You can also see the passages. Sorry for the font size. It had to get down to about... Six font this morning to make it all fit. What was the mark of the early church? Just to catch up to speed, we're actually in a third part of a three, really it's one sermon, but it's divided over three weeks. And what it was is it is uh, the apostle Peter got this vision to go to a Gentile's house and to tell them about 
Christ. And you've got to understand that Jews and Gentiles do not, uh, all a Gentile is is someone who's not a Jew. A, a Jewish person would not associate with a Gentile. They wouldn't do business with them as a partnership. They wouldn't marry in between the two of them. They really wouldn't even go, a Jew wouldn't feel comfortable going into a Gentile's house. And yet he gets this vision, this kind of strange vision. We'll see it again here. He's going to describe it for the third time in these three chunks. He's going to describe it to another group of people what happened. He gets this vision, and so does this other guy by the name of Cornelius. Gets a similar vision. He's a Gentile. He's a Roman soldier. He's a centurion. He gets this, same, or this vision that compliments Peter's and telling his men to go get Peter and bring him over to him. And when he gets there, something amazing happens. God communicates very clearly to Peter that, you know what? I've opened the door wide up. The Gentiles can come into the church. You don't have to first become a Jew to become a Christian. That was radical for them. It's not for us. If I were to ask people to raise their hand in this room, and I am not one uh, of a Jewish descent, there'd be very few of us probably. So most of us in this room, it's no new concept. But you have to smell the air then. This was radical stuff. Talking about race divisions. This was a huge race division. Okay, so let's pick it up in Acts chapter 11. First we're going to look at the first three verses. The apostles, remember they're, they're kind of spread around. Some of them are in Jerusalem. It says the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So here's what they did about it. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, that means those people who are Jewish people, criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, imagine this scene if you can. Kind of put it on a, on a, on a possibly as best of a 21st century thing as you can here. Picture a boardroom. I know this is kind of corny. I am hooked on the show The Apprentice now. Uh, <laughs> I've only watched it twice, but, but I, just a few weeks ago I mentioned it, and it's like, that is a really nasty show. And I don't know why, maybe it's my flesh, but I like that show. And uh, there's this boardroom where Donald Trump is just, it's just incredible. He just asks the most pointed, uh, and then his two associates are there, and man, they just, they just don't let anybody off the hook for anything, and our own Tennille Ziegler, where'd you go? She was trying out for that show, actually. And Tennille, you'd have, done, you'd have done great in it, too. You'd have stood your ground. I know you, girl. But uh, picture this boardroom, if you can. And there's, there's these apostles around there. Then it says, and then there's other brothers that came from other places. So I don't know, maybe there's 20, 30, 40, 50 people. And they're ticked. Peter, what are you doing? What are you doing? These are Jewish people. We are Jewish people. And you're going around with Gentiles. You went into their house. And you're letting them into the church. What is wrong with you? This is a hostile environment. You know, this isn't like, oh, could you explain to us what happened? No, no, no. They criticized him. They wrote nasty things on the back of the communication card towards the preacher. <laughs> I shouldn't give you guys any ideas. I've been on boards. I've been on Christian boards that at times have been, ooh, it twists. I've been to meetings of Christian organizations where you cannot believe you're sitting in a Christian organization. There's something about this boardroom when decisions are made that people just say, you know what, for the next few minutes we're going to let all biblical principles be over here and we're going to make a business decision. Let me just give you an encouragement. If you're ever on a board, don't put biblical 
principles over here while you're making decisions. Feels a lot like this apprentice thing when you, sometimes when you go into it. This is no small meeting. This is big time trouble for Peter. Okay, let's look at how he responds. Oh, by the way, I'm calling this thing Gentile Gate. Huh? <laughs> Everything's like, you know, Whitewater Gate and what were the other ones? I can't remember. Travel Gate, all the things they picked on Clinton for. So, you know, Watergate. Those of you who are too young to know what that is. Uh, Gen Gentile Gate. Okay, what does Peter do? Look at verse 4. <clears throat> Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it happened. <coughs> I was in, <clears throat> I was, Michael, would you get me a little water? My cup is right there, sorry. <clears throat> From the drinking fountain is fine. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners. Here it comes down. And it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter. <clears throat> Kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Remember we talked about this? There were dietary restrictions on Jewish people, and they were not supposed to eat certain, oh, bless you, many children. <laughs> um, they were not supposed to eat certain types of animals. We looked at Leviticus where it showed that. And so Peter's saying, oh, is this, this must be a test. No, no, I won't do it. I will be a good Jewish Christian. And the vision is trying to communicate something, and it's beyond just what you eat. He's trying to communicate, no, it's about people. I'm trying to communicate something beyond that, Peter. It's okay, eat. Those laws and those things are changing now. The church is becoming a wide open place for all kinds of people. Verse 9, the voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And then it was pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me. So he brought his posses. He brought his homies. There were six guys there with him. So if they did rush him, he had at least you know seven of them against however many. I don't, I don't know. I doubt that. But it makes for interesting theater at least. And we entered the man's house. He told us how he, this is Cornelius now, this Roman, in Caesarea, 30 miles away from where he was in Joppa, he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he, as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? Now this, this is a big story. The author of the book of Acts, Luke, remember we said there's a lot of things that are going on. We're years into the church now. And the author of the book of Acts, Luke, has included this story three times. He's taken up that much press on the papyrus or whatever he's writing on three times 
to tell us about this vision. Once to Peter and Cornelius as it happens, then Peter explains to Cornelius firsthand what happened, and then now there's this meeting of all the, the, the heads of state, so to speak, in the churches, and, they, and he explains it again. This is a big story. This is a major shift in the book of Acts. From this point on, the church will no longer ever be the same. And how does he close it? He says, if God gave them the same gift, I could visibly see that they got the Holy Spirit. God gave them a gift, and they spoke in those same different languages. They spoke in tongues that I didn't know, but here it happened to them the exact same way it happened to us. And then he closes by saying, who was I to think that I could oppose God? Now, We've been around boardrooms already in the book of Acts. If you remember when Stephen was with the Sanhedrin and others have been with the Sanhedrin, which were the Jewish religious rulers of the day, those who weren't followers of Christ, you could see that their reaction to that kind of language would be, stone them. Who was I to think I could oppose God? Who are you? Who do you think you are? And that's what happened. They stoned Stephen. They, 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 they persecuted the, the disciples. Look what happens in this boardroom. The amazing decision of the apostles. Verse 18. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, God has even granted, or God has granted even the Gentiles. <laughs> Maybe they haven't quite got over the racism yet, but you know, <laughs> even the Gentiles, repentance unto life. Isn't that amazing how that, I mean, just think of that room. There it was. He, they hear the story. Their hearts were soft to it. And they go, so then, we're all good to go. What was the mark of the early church? I think the mark of the early church was that they loved and they feared God so much that they were willing to obey God no matter where he went in everything. In geography, in careers, in family, and now in interracial relationships. In one phrase, I would say that the mark of the early church was obedience to God resulting in radical love to the world. It's radical to someone that you've warred with for, since their beginning of the Bible to now say, so then, come on in. And if you remember, God brought them along slowly. First, remember in Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans got to be part of the church. And the Samaritans were a half-breed, half-Jewish, but they intermarried with Gentile people. So God brought them along slowly. He doesn't even give a vision to Peter that makes any sense whatsoever. It takes Peter three times to explain it to people, so he even gets it. God brings them along slowly because it's a major shift. Now, I said I'd get back to what was the question that I was asked. A friend of mine, Dave, just showed up at my door uh, one night. We kind of have that a lot at my house. It's just kind of like a lost puppy. These people just show up. It's a friend of mine from college. And I just knock, 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 9 o'clock at night one night, I open the door, and there's Dave. Dave lives in Rochester, and he's up for some conference. He just decided to come over. 
And so it's great. And he, he says, you know, I, I've really got to get over to that church of yours, that building. Uh, he's just, he's starting a new, he's helping start a new church in Rochester. He's not, it's not on staff, but he's, he works for the EPA. And, uh, but he, uh, he's starting helping this church and he says, it's just such an amazing story to hear that a church would be given to you from another church. It's just crazy talk. I, I just want to see it. And so I said, well, why don't we go now? So we, we drove down here. <clears throat> you know what it is when something happens and you distinctly remember exactly where you were? I know exactly where I was. I was right on 55 when 55 peels off to 35 one way and 7th coming downtown. Right there. And we're chit-chatting back and forth and Dave asks me a question. Just out of the blue. He just says, would you say that your church is characterized by love? I've heard a lot of things in my life. Not many things stun me. And not, you know, just by the length of most of my messages, not many things leave me speechless. <laughs> that left me speechless. I had to answer him by saying, well, I think it's, I think it's in the top ten but as I think of myself, is that what people would say about me? Would people say, there goes Steve, man. That guy is just a lover of people. That guy loves God with so much that he's willing to obey to the extent that he has radical love towards others. Would I say that about me? I don't think I would. So I had to answer him. This is not the way I would like to see in my own life, in the life of this church. And I said that not because I don't think hope is a friendly place. I, don't, I, feel like, I feel like if you're to put us on a curve, I feel like we're ahead in the love department. But Jesus said something radical in John 13. I don't have a slide on this one. Just, just listen up. Jesus said something radical. He said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Are you a followers of me if you love one another? Is this mark of that kind of love, is that what people see in us? Is that what people see in me? Not yet. Not yet in me. I'm not going to speak for everyone here, but I know I personally have a long way to go, and I think we can grow in it as a church. And that humbles me a lot. Because Jesus says the number one quality, the number one quality is love. Galatians chapter 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is, what's the first one? Love. What are the obstacles to love? Jesus told a story in Luke chapter 10. I just want to read it real quickly because some of you may not be familiar with it. One, on one occasion in Luke chapter 10, he's speaking. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 says, On one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? The expert replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hand of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. 
A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, which is a, a very important religious person, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, remember, racially, Jews hated Samaritans. They were half-breeds. They were sellouts. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these, then he looked at, Jesus looked at the man and says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Carol and I were talking about this over coffee on Friday. Um, because I was really challenged by this. And I still am. I, I am a little bit in turmoil even as I share this with you. What is it that keeps us from loving people like that? If you're here this morning and you are in a position where you love God and you're willing to obey, part of that is loving people that, that are not going to be comfortable for you. This guy was beat up. He had blood. He was, he was yicky. I think there's four things, primarily in my mind. I, let me just say it this way. For me, as I thought this through this week, there's four things that come to mind as are obstacles. The first one is race. It might be black and white. I'm from the Iron Range. It goes much deeper than black and white up there. You can be a Croatian, and we don't like you. You can be an Italian, and we don't like you. They all look the same, but there was a lot of racial uh, centricism around your last name and how it, how it was translated and what nationality you were. So I showed that clip from A Time to Kill. When I saw that movie again, I, I rented it from the, from the uh, library, and I watched that movie. I said, we got to see that clip, and we got to see it this week when we talk about Cornelius. Race can be a problem. Race can also be a problem because it's not the color of your skin, but it's your culture. So I'm convinced that's more of a barrier than color of your skin. It's your culture. Right? Right now, this is not a black church. I've been in black churches. And every other word, it's amen. Bring it home. By the way, bring it home means wrap it up, Pastor. There's a there's a uh, oven or there's a uh, roast in my oven. It's burning. Wrap it up now, Pastor. Bring it home. Bring it home. That means you can be quiet. We got the point. But uh, that's a different culture. If you've never been to a black church, there's one right down the street, Bethesda. A great. It's a small black church, but it's awesome. You should try it. If we all showed up, it'd be bad. I don't think they'd fit us all, but. <laughs> there's a different culture there, and it's scary. It's scary not to know when to stand up, sit down, shout, shout, shout. I don't know what I'm doing. And so we're scared of that. That's the second thing is fear. Fear of just getting involved in another person's life. Because you know what? I don't care what the race is. If I really get to know you, and if you really want to get to know me, I'm messy. I'm messy inside. 
And, and you know what? No offense, but you're messy inside too. And so as we really get to know each other, I, I see you now, not as I did once when I kind of go, boy, aren't they cool? I kind of go, boy, they're cool, but they're a schmutz too. There's some things I learn about you and you'll learn about me if you really get to know me that you go, I don't know. And so there's this fear. So you don't love. You just back off and you give the smile and, and you don't move towards. Third thing I thought of is just flat out selfishness. I think that's what these guys were going through. I'm better than you. Sucks to be you. Sorry you're on the side of the road. Maybe somebody else will come by. But you know, I'm better than that. I'm not beat up there lying. You know? Somebody's going through a hard time. Well, why don't you just get a job? Instead of listening to what's going on in their life. And the last one, and this is the one for me, is the hardest and the biggest barrier to love. It's just energy. It's just downright hard work to love people. And that's, as Carol and I talked, that we both said, that's it. Talking at Starbucks, and we were saying, you know what? That's the thing that causes us to not extend enough hospitality, to not really get involved in another person's life. It's because, oh, well, I've already got all this going on, and we have three kids and a dog, and, and you know, all this stuff. I need new back brakes on my truck, and all these different things. And those things got to get done, no doubt about it. So I use, that as a, I use that as a wall and say, well, you know, I'd love you if I had time. And that's exactly what could be happening on the road. I'd take care of you, but you know, I got this, I got this meeting of, actually it's a meeting on how we should love one another, but, but I got to learn about that in Jerusalem and then on the way back. If you're still here, I'll apply it on the way back. What does love look like? I want to close this morning by reading a passage that if you've been to a wedding in the last 10 years, you've heard this passage. But I want to read this. Paul's speaking about what is love. And he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I will know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. Faith hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. How do you do that? How do you become like that? I think it goes back to what was the mark of the early church. They so feared and they so loved God that they were willing to obey Him no matter what it took. 
so that it worked itself out in radical love for the world. I'm going to close this morning. I'm going to pray. But as I pray, I'm going to, I'm going to read verses 4 to 7 again. And this time I'm just going to insert your name as a question. And I want you to think, just as your head is bowed and your eyes are closed, if you could just think about, is that true of me, God? And if not, God, I need to obey you. I need to follow you. Make me this way. Let's close together in prayer. Jesus, we just ask that you would move in our midst, even now as we do a little self-inventory here. Make it be that hope would be a place that is love community church, that it would just run out of here. And God, make it work in my life, that I would be just a lover. May it start with my family, my boys, my wife, and people that know me well in this church, and then to others who don't know me, and people who have different cultures and different races or different thoughts. I praise you, God, as I was studying for this, a guy came to my door from a political party which I don't agree with, and I sat down and I was kind to him for 20 minutes. And I listened to what he had to say, really listened. Lord God, would you just work in our hearts and our lives? Would you just work in our hearts and lives as we take this inventory now? From 1 Corinthians 13. Am I patient? Am I kind? Do I envy? Do I boast? Am I proud? Am I rude? Am I self-seeking? Am I easily angered? Do I keep a record of wrongs? Do I delight in evil? Do I rejoice with the truth? Do I protect? Do I trust? Do I hope? Do I persevere? Lord, it's called that love is the fruit of the Spirit. That's something that happens to us like an apple grows off a tree. It's not something we crank out. But it's something that we just, like a good tree, just allow you to bear fruit through us. By your Spirit, even today, would you cause us to be the kind of people that we could impact our culture because more than anything they would know that we love them. We ask this in Christ's name.